Hello, I'm Dave Brisky, and I'd like to welcome you back to this week's episode of Brisky Business. Can you believe it? We're in episode three now. Thank you so much for making me a part of your day. The goal of our platform is to offer you strategies to accelerate your business, and it's a forum, as you know, that supplies tips and tidbits that will demystify the business marketplace and hopefully demystify the stock market a little bit. And since this is your show, what's really important is that you realize this. And if you have any questions or topics you want to hear, write me at briskybusiness at ntvusa.com. And I'll uh, tailor the program to the things that you want to know most about business. You know, during last week's broadcast, we took a deep dive into building a business plan. And this was a really interesting program and it got very, very involved. If you miss it, go take a look at episode two on the NTV USA app. Uh, each show is broken down into four segments. And of course that show was no different. And the first segment on that show was Brisk Business Basics. And we covered the business plan uh, in a very, very deep way. So go back and take a look if you'd like. The segment after that is Brisk's Buyer Bail. And on Brisk's Buyer Bail, we evaluate different business opportunities. And then we have Brisk's Bulls and bears. And the last segment is Brisk's best and brightest, which is all about mentorship. So, uh, you know, let's do this. Let's get started. Let's take a deep breath. Each show, we like to grab a cup of our favorite coffee and, and get started with some conversation that hopefully uh, is revolving around your interests in business. I just love a good cup of coffee. So Brick's business basis. So episode two, as we said, went straight into the business plan because that was our first tidbit. And that tidbit really inspired a lot of questions, which I found interesting. And that tidbit was, if you can't write it down, it can't be done. So since this is your show, I wanted to cover that with you in mind. This week, many questions came in about the sales process. And this is probably because people wanna know how to sell. And it's probably one of the more scary parts of a business plan or of being in business. I hear it all the time. People say, I can't sell. Uh, they're afraid of the selling process. And it's a shame. It's, uh, it's actually a, somewhat of a dying art, the, the ability to sell. And at the end of the day, the safest and most secure career path anyone really can have is to learn how to sell. If you can master that, no matter what the economic situation is of our country, or no matter how difficult it is, you're gonna be able to work and you're gonna be able to be successful. Sales professionals are a dying breed and very, very important that you can master this. And one thing for certain, if you can generate revenue, you're gonna have a place on somebody's team. So that's probably why uh, of all the uh, components of the business plan, the most questions came in about salesmanship. Um, let me tell you something about salesmanship and that as a career path. Um, my first job out of school, I took a job with a small company. It's actually called Croy Lettering Systems. Now I had said on a previous program that I generated, uh, I left a company, sorry, I graduated from Fordham and when I graduated, I had about 13 different job offers and they were major companies like IBM, uh, uh, which is Big Blue, the uh, many, many large corporations that you would be familiar with, like Calgon and other major companies. But I accepted this small company, uh, that job, because they were willing to start off with a sales training program. And I thought, you know what, that's going to serve me well when I get into business. The sales training was so interesting, and they started off with team selling. 
I thought that was really interesting. You were paired up with a selling partner, and I was actually able to partner up with a guy that I became best friends with at Fordham University, and we were team selling partners. And when we started learning how to sell, and they started to demystify the selling process, it got to be really interesting how cool sales were, and how that particular opportunity, if you could master it, you were pretty much assured a place on the team. And one of the things we learned when things got tough, the salespeople were the last people anyone was going to cut from their roster. Because at the end of the day, if you're going to survive and you're going to be strong, you better know how to generate revenue. And all companies are looking for revenue generation. I would say the biggest thing I learned through that incredible training program was that sales is a numbers game and team selling works. What do I mean by sales is a numbers game? Well, we're going to get more into that as we move through the segment. The first thing we learned when we went uh, to the Croy Lettering training system on sales was get your mindset right. You know, I think the challenge people have with sales is they focus too much on maybe used car lots, right? They think of the car salesman, or they think of the old days, there's a book, Death of a Salesman. They may think of, uh, of, of maybe some of the multi-level marketing companies that don't have a great reputation, although I happen to think that direct sales or multi-level is really cool when people are professional and build on it. So you got to get your mindset, whether you're selling cars or whether you're selling in a direct sales channel or whether you're selling from any company. And what you really need to understand is you're not a salesman, you're a problem solver. And as a problem solver, you get your head right. Now that's my career. That's a, that's a career worth living. That is something you want to do. That can get you up in the morning. That I am here to put a product in someone's hands to solve their problems. And you know what? When you start thinking of it that way, now I'm pretty excited about being in sales. And then the next piece, you have to know, once you get started, you have to learn how to prospect. And oh my goodness, once you're breaking the sales, that is the big fear number. You have to overcome prospecting. And let me tell you something about prospecting. It's a daily activity. You have to do it every day. The best salespeople, they understand prospecting. They understand it's a daily activity. And in today's world, they also understand it's done a multitude of ways. It's done by email. It's done by phone. It's done through social media now. It's done through referral-based selling. Of course, that's why you want happy customers, right? Because they're the best person to ask for referrals. And then, of course, it's done at events, various social events and activities where you are able to prospect when you have your mindset right that what? that you are there to solve a problem. And once you do that, now you're gonna be successful at selling. Now, make sure you schedule time to prospect every single day. It's gotta be your high energy time. You have to understand the importance of prospecting is filling the pipeline with people that you can market your product to to solve their problems. And so prospecting is key. Never miss it, not one single day, and you will be a dominant seller. Your business will not lack revenue. And if it doesn't lack revenue, you're gonna have a very, very successful business. Now. Let's talk a little bit about some of those components of prospecting. Let's give an email tip. Oh my goodness, I get emails all the time from people trying to sell me, unfortunately, and not solve my problems that I have. And if you keep the subject line in an email under 33 letters, write 33 spaces, then your prospect can read it, okay? Understand that over 50% of email is read on a cell phone. 
So that subject line is very narrow. And if you're super smart, you'll go ahead and do that subject line before you ever send it to a prospect and send it to yourself and look on your smartphone and see what it says. See how it shows up for you so you understand the impact your email prospecting have. And I could go on and on about different tips and tidbits, but the most important thing is that do not write things like just checking in or I'm just getting back to you. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, nobody cares about that. You're supposed to be there to solve their problem. And you are there with the solution to the problem. Here would be a good intro on an email. Subject line, subject to the problem we discussed. That's it. That would be good. Uh, do not use just checking in. Okay, and make sure your emails are as short as possible. As short as possible. All right, let's move on to calling tips. Remember, at the end of the day, the customer really wants to know two things. Every single one of them. We're all the same. I want to know the price, and I want to know what it's going to do for me. That's what I really want. I don't really care too much about the rhetoric. How much does it cost? Because I may be out of it right away. I only have so much time, and you're wasting my time if you can't answer those questions. Now, think about this. You still have to balance the discovery with that time. In other words, you need to learn stuff about your prospect, but you need to balance it with the fact that at the end of the day, he wants to know how you're going to solve his problem and what it's going to cost him for you to do that. So in that prospecting, you better figure out how to do some discovery along the way and not waste their time. They only have so much time, they're running out of it all the time, and all of us, I'm sure any of us that are working understand this, at the end of the day, we just don't seem to have enough time so the considerate salesperson is going to be able to resolve that. Then there's conversation and presentation. Obviously that's a really, really important part of the selling process. Very, very similar tidbits of each one. Um, be interested in your target. Shorter discussions are better. And the best thing you can do is tell a story about your target's peers. Nobody wants you to tell them how to run their business. So maybe another prospect that you had and how you solved their problem and how it worked for them might be a little bit better story than trying to tell somebody how to run their business that they've been running for maybe 10 or 20 years. And the final tip, and probably the most important tip on this, is remember this. Everyone likes to do business with people they like. I don't know why that is lost on so many people. At the end of the day, salesmanship, if you can master the fact that people would rather do business with people they like, you might be nicer at the selling process, you might be friendlier, and you might make stuff happen for that person to solve their problems. And you might build a friend in your business that'll give you more referrals to help you grow your business because you just get it that people like to do business with people that they like. And this gives you a brisk tidbit. I once was asked what the key to my success was, and I says, when I find people I like to do business with, I do more business with them. And I found that to be a great path to success. So maybe you might want to think about that and how many people that are having joy in their life are doing business with people they enjoy being around, and they do more and more business with people that bring them that joy. In episode two last week, you can go back and check it out, we worked hard at studying vertical plays. Oh my goodness, I went back and watched episode two, and I had a quote there, I couldn't believe it. Apparently my Fordham 
education really kicked in. I like to talk about how I'm going to simplify the business approach and we're going to demystify business in the stock market. And I actually said this quote, and I'm going to have to read it because I don't think I could ever repeat it in the natural world. So what I said was, is vertical with properly scaled dependency on the balance of the vertical chain. What the heck does that mean? I actually do know what it means, but I can't believe that that rolled off my tongue. So let's simplify the vertical process because it's so important to my entire career. Every business I've been in had a vertical component. So what did I mean by that? It sounded so complicated. And how am I going to live by my promise that I'm going to demystify it? Easy way to talk about vertical, we're going to talk about our coffee business just for a second. We own land, right? We have a plantation. It happens to be 1,000 acres out in Nicaragua, okay? And we grow coffee there. And in the coffee, what comes out of coffee is coffee beans. And one of the things we can do with those coffee beans, besides turn it into coffee, which is obviously obvious, is that we're vertical. So from those coffee beans, we grow saplings on the plantation. What are saplings? Tiny little plants, like if you go to Home Depot. And if you go to Home Depot, you see these little black plastic things with all the flowers in it. Well, we do the same thing on our coffee plantation. And in fact, we grow 300,000 of them every new season. Well, we don't need 300,000 of those saplings to replace the plants that die each year. So what we do is we sell those saplings to other plantations that need jumpstart product. And now that becomes a part of our vertical. So within just the sapling process, we now have created a profit center. We don't need that many saplings, but now we're selling saplings and making revenue there. This is what I mean by vertical. Is there business opportunities within the vertical that allows you to generate other revenues without being dependent all the way back in the United States, right? Our plantations in Nicaragua where we're selling coffee on the shelf. Along the vertical, could we build in other business opportunities? Let's talk about the harvest. We could keep all of the harvest for our own use, right? Once again, we'd be dependent on selling that coffee. Or we could sell it off as certified coffees, or an organic coffee, a fair trade coffee, something certified. And that gives the highest margin to coffee. So rather than using it all for ourselves, we'll go ahead and find another way to generate revenue, another source for profits. And this is what I mean by the vertical is not dependent on the end result. Processing is another part of our coffee plantation. And in the processing, uh, we, we process for many other plantations. And we've built that into a profit center as well. We just don't process our own stuff. And by being able to process so much coffee, we now have created another business model within our model for creating revenue, and that is the green coffee distribution business. So once again, we've lessened the dependency on us having had to sell so much coffee by within the vertical chain finding other opportunities to generate revenue and profits. And so that's what I meant by that crazy statement that I ended the program uh, in this segment last weekend. So I wanted to clarify that for you. So what if uh, all that investment that we made in plantations and processing only relied on the success of our own brand? Think about the risk that would have. What if our sales of our own brand were not doing well or not up to par? 
Think of how much cost we'd have invested and what that dependency would do and what type of pressure and stress that would be putting on our organization. So that's what I mean by the way I like to do vertical markets. It's essentially broadening your risk profile for the generation of revenue and profits. Okay, to the matter at hand, brisk buyer bail. This week, the segment's going to be interesting because there's so much to cover that it's actually going to cross over into brisk bulls and bears. So this segment is going to go a little bit long, but it covers both ends of, uh, of each segment. It covers segment two and it covers segment three. And it's just too much to cover in one segment. So I like the fact that it covers evaluating a, a business opportunity, brisk buyer bail, and it crosses straight into the public market. So it's a perfect segment for an overlap. So let's, let's move along. In episode two last week, we talked about market cap and we said it's the share price times the amount of shares outstanding, right? So we got the stock price times the number of shares. And we took a pretty deep dive into that. And go check out episode two, if you would like, to learn more about market cap. Well, how do you make these decisions? And there must be other financial indicators when I'm deciding to buy a stock or when I'm evaluating a public company. And there absolutely is other financial indicators that you should be considering when you're making investment decisions or when you're evaluating a business opportunity. Well, there's three major uh, pieces to a financial statement, the income statement, the balance sheet, and the cash flow. The income statement, I think most people get, even if they've never studied it, it's essentially the profit and loss statement. I think it's the easiest one for people to understand. And you always hear this from investors or even investors in private companies, and they ask you this, are you profitable? And the answer to that question lies on the income statement. What is the income statement? It's your revenue. It's then your cost of that revenue. So if I'm in the coffee cup sales, how much of these did I sell? What did I pay for it? And then that becomes the gross profit. And then we have all our expenses. And if your expenses are less than your gross profit, you make a profit. And that's the income statement. So most people, they get that pretty well. Today, I want to discuss something a little bit more challenging and frankly, an area where people have a lot of fear. And that's called the balance sheet. Just the nature of it scares people. The income statement's simple because you already know it starts with income. The balance sheet makes absolutely no sense. Why is there this word balance sheet and what does it mean? The cool thing about the balance sheet, leaning into the public companies, is that every single public company that's out there, NASDAQ, New York Stock Exchange, when they're reporting, and they report with things called 10Ks and 10Qs. So the Qs are quarterly publications, and the Ks is once annually. That's your annual report. Every single public company has this, and if you were to go look up any public company, all you'd have to have is your, their symbol. You could find their 10K or 10Q, and within that, the balance sheet, income statement, and cash flow lives. It's only about four or five pages of what is a 100 to 200-page report which is why rarely do investors or people doing their research or diligence ever read them. It's just too much for them to read. What I like to do is steer you straight to the balance sheet. If you get there, now you can learn some things about the company. A lot of nuggets live in the balance sheet. Now, public companies, and the reason why public companies and stock markets exist is because we as public companies have to file our balance sheet, income statement, and everything else in accordance to a standard, and that standard is called GAAP. 
And so GAAP is the highest standard of public reporting. And that's why you see so much investing taking place in stock market and in public companies. Because of that standard, there's trust. So let's talk about the balance sheet. And what it is, it's a statement of assets, liabilities, and net worth. That's, that's what lives on the balance sheet. So you can understand why that's a pretty important document for you to take a look at. The assets live there, the liabilities, and the net worth. And the key formula that exists in every balance sheet is this formula. And you might want to write this one down. Assets minus liabilities equals net worth. And obviously, you want that to be a positive number, right? We want more assets, things of value, less liabilities, things where we owe and, or owe other people. And we want that number then to equal a net worth. And the higher that net worth, the better value or bigger value a company has. So let's get into assets. That's the first section of every balance sheet. So assets are broken down into current assets, long-term assets, which sometimes are called fixed assets, and then uh, other, believe it or not. That is a segment. So you got current, long-term, and other assets. And the interesting thing about the asset section on every balance sheet is that they're arranged in how quickly you can convert the asset into cash. That's why that's an important piece. So you convert assets into cash. So when you look at the balance sheet, you'll see assets. Like I said, it's very easy to find. Every public company has it. And you'll see current assets. And they're listed in, in a way that you can convert those to cash the quickest. Okay? And many times when you hear about investing, you'll hear about a company's liquidity. Oh, man, people love to throw that buzzword out, liquidity. And this is where liquidity comes from. Right? The first thing on any balance sheet is how much cash you have. You cannot get more liquid than your cash because it's already turned into cash. And that's essentially what liquidity is, is turning your assets into cash is where liquidity comes from. So what are the current assets? Well, cash we covered, stocks, bonds. Some people get confused by that. But companies with a lot of cash, they don't leave the cash just sitting in a bank account. They try to make more money on their cash. So they'll invest their cash in stocks, they'll invest their cash in bonds to give them a higher yield. And so they're listed after cash. Remember what I said. Assets are in liquidity order. Cash is the most liquid. Stocks and bonds are a little bit less liquid. And why? Because if you were to sell a stock or a bond, it takes you about two days to turn them into cash. So a little less liquid than cash, but not much. And then we move into accounts receivable, and this is shipping your customers, right? They owe you money. We're gonna get back to the rest of this segment on the balance sheet in the third segment of Brisky Business.